world. Welcome back to Centered Subject, your weekly existential entertainment hour. And um, as usual, I'm Yelena, still Yelena, still in LA. As usual, I'm joined in your ear by Jenny Campbell, who's still in New York. I am. Hello. I remain. And then today, drumroll, we're very excited um, because we're joined by a dear friend, Julia Holter. Hello. Hello. She's here. She's here behind the pop filter. Hello. <laughs> she's hiding. Um, how is everyone? How, how are you, Julia? I'm great, thanks. You're surviving the hellish weather of our lovely town? Yes. What, why is it hellish? It's hot. It's very hot. It's, it's also so quite humid. Yeah, it's just some I know this bad. is an interesting No, it's very interesting. Weather is a little, let's do a small delayed weather report. <laughs> <laughs> it's mandatory. It becomes irrelevant by the time this comes out. But The humidity is 37%. There was Whereas also fire in New York, the other day. The, the humidity is only oh, 68%. Wow. wow. You, you brought more facts to our show in the first minute. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't tend to verify like that. Your data is so I don't know creep. if I trust that Apple app, though. The weather <laughs> okay. app. Yeah. We don't know. Wow, Apple yeah. app. I just realized that they post after they pee I have a, a brief anecdote about the well. It's not even an anecdote. But it is an important day in New York City because you can wear a light jacket. Oh, it's a really big that's deal. Oh, nice. welcome. The fall, yeah, that's the really fall nice. has arrived somewhat or just sort of gestured right. at you. And my personality only makes sense from within a light jacket. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so I'm feeling really comfortable. Well, congratulations. Thank That's, you. It's so it feels nice to experience the change yeah. of seasons. Yeah, cuz it's 70 degrees right now there. <laughs> I know. Thank you. And in a few <laughs> hours it'll only be 68 degrees. <laughs> Can you chime in like every 10 minutes? <laughs> And then tomorrow at 11 a.m., actually, it'll 30% chance that it might start raining, which is great. Oh, I'm <laughs> jealous now. I'm going to start crying, uh, but I can't cry because cool. it'll, it'll add more humidity to Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, maybe yeah. it's because I've been crying and that's why it's Oh, so you know, I'm even better if I have an umbrella and a light jacket. That's like my true, that's like my truest self, 100%. Mm, yeah. It's great. Then I become like a little French. Oh, God, I'm, I'm like going to be feeling it tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah. We'll Can't just be wait. here hiding under blankets from the sun. Oh, dear. Shaking our sticks at the sky <laughs> in hope of rain. Maybe. Yeah. It'll be a ritual. But speaking of rituals, actually, that brings me to um, the point of our discussion today, our meeting, our. I, is there a word that. A Congress, maybe. Oh. Yeah, so today we're here to discuss notions of new medievalism, and I guess, I suppose, old medievalism. Um, I think I've mentioned that concept over the last few episodes, and um, to me, I've been picking up on it in, in various kind of cultural corners. Maybe there's a certain way that mainstream scientific knowledge gets rejected in favor of like belief-based ideas, and there's a kind of rise of... Um, fervent ideology and mm -hmm. there's a kind of also inquisition like cancel culture tendencies that we witness and then also like in my favorite is probably like the rise of iconography like the rise of the image and mm -hmm. you know use of emoji and all the sort of belief kind of magical I guess like magical rituals that people are starting to engage in yeah somebody called it woo <laughs> Oh. That's what they called it. Someone said that to me, and I was like, "Oh, I don't like that word." They called it what? Oh. Woo? What? Woo? They're like, "I don't know how much how much she's into woo or anything." And I was just oh. like, "Woo?" Like wooden, yeah. maybe? Is it a short for that? I don't really understand it. Please, someone explain it to but me. But it makes but, sense um, somehow. I feel like it's almost like a primal sound that comes from the gut. Yes. You know, you just sort of breathe it out and become a hurricane right. a little bit. Like, mm. Right. It's it's always said with a little <gasps> bit of sarcasm, though. Like it's never like sure. It's it's always like whoa, you know. It's not like yeah. like a lull. Like it's yeah. not really. Whoa is a lull. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like that funny. But yeah, so the the medieval um, has been on our minds. I think. It's yeah. been on Jenny's mind as well. Yeah, for many years. I can't stop. <laughs> You've I practically it moved out. to the Middle Ages. 
Oh, um, really? I do. I I do it on purpose. Tell us your thoughts. What's been on your mind? Well, it started when I found myself watching uh, BBC documentaries for like hours and days on end. That's when it always starts. <laughs> right. For me. Well, it was like a particular one. And I think this is like very specific to what's happening is that they would, they were like experiential reenactors, but they would live and dress and cook. Sure in the world itself in like a monastery oh yeah (laughs) and it was something about imagining you know just like that you're actually there and that what Mm -hmm. the clothes feel like and how difficult life was and I think that's the big part of it is that you know it's really hard I don't know how to make a fire I'd like to I mean I kind of do but I'd like (laughs) to be able to like have a cauldron that works and make like a of meal in it and I'd like to know how to pluck a chicken not that I eat meat but like you know I'd like to know how to do all the things that we do in order to live yeah. I'd like to know how to weave a blanket you know but it's I like, feel like you could do it though and I feel like I wonder if that's what's so, tr- so attractive about it because I feel like it's a lot easier to learn how to do that than like you know make a computer for instance that's right that's right. And maybe there's an attractiveness mm-hmm. about it. So yeah, I've been, that was just the first thing that was just legibility viscerally attracting me to it. And I couldn't get out of that world. And then over time it was like, I, I wanted to learn more and more and stay in that world. And so there was like knowledge being built, but yeah, I think that first instinct was related to stuff that we talk about where it's like, we're in this world where there's so much technology that really defines our life that we don't understand. And so it's like wanting to get down to, to technology in a really basic way. Right. It's like a, a kind of Luddite um, response where people want to do the opposite in a way, but they also do it kind of facilitated by technology. That's true. Um, and do you feel like internet plays a big role? Do you learn when you watch the show? I almost do. <laughs> no, it's, it's a tricky not thing. Quite. Not quite. I intend to. I mean, I I think I cook. I've like my cooking has been influenced by it wow. to some extent. You know, mm. like it. That's very easy mm. because, like, really early. Any cooking, recipe? Any favorite yeah. ghouls you want to share oh. with our dear listeners? I mean, I don't. Yeah, there are a lot of YouTube. <laughs> things that you can find that have medieval recipes it's very easy and just basically like one of the great ideas is that you know food like western food hasn't changed very much mm-hmm. since then and sometimes it's gotten worse that's their <laughs> attitude so yeah i mean there's just like you know salmon and there'll be a really not like really nice use of herbs um yeah. really gen- generous sure. use of herbs um comfort with different herbs for medicinal purposes and just like how they taste. And then, and then there's like this intimacy, you know, about like living with animals, you know, the, the animals die and you kind of are close to them and you live because they live. And there's like a closeness that everybody has. And then like, there's far less privacy in that world. So I think I liked it because it was like communal living in some way that it's like me trying to be a hippie but like trying to be in a nunnery or a monastery at the same time I think that was like <laughs> my instinct to some extent I love yeah. that that's a, that's, I really feel that yeah yeah it feels really pure and beautiful and like purposeful I do love the part of everyone living together mm-hmm. that time when everyone shared a bedroom mm. mm-hmm. right. and there was no privacy right. and no one was ever lonely Right, right, that's true. They probably didn't know what that was. <laughs> They're like, "What is what is alone?" Yeah, there was no identity separate from your family and your group of people that you lived in. And right, you couldn't survive right without them. Yeah, mm. right. You desperately needed them. I mean, and the other part that I got into also because I, as I've said, I'm like pretty into goth stuff is that in particular times they were so terrified of the outside world and the darkness Mm. and they had this very like codified system right of like the demons that were out there and what you could do to stop them it seems similar to today i know and like as a person like who has anxiety sometimes not particularly about like nighttime but all of the rituals that they had to do to make things okay and Mm -hmm. you know this sense of uh, being close to other people like the one there's one where like you put a shoe you have to put your shoes upside down because like bad spirits would get in your shoes mm. during the night sure it's really nice they still do that still happens maybe this somehow relates to what we're talking about but i was thinking of this quote that i've been thinking a lot about from this book which is like this kind of famous 
I think pretty much accurate book about the 14th century by Barbara Tuckman, mm. A Distant Mirror. Oh. oh yeah, I know that book. It's a great book. I think I it's a pretty it. popular one. It took me like a year and a half to read because it's long and I'm a slow reader. But there's this line in it I like, which is like, magic was present in the world. Yeah, everywhere, in your shoe, in the outside world, in yourself. Like there was these, you know, understandings of medicine and, and I mean, in a bad way, you know, all the bad stuff that would happen was like magical. And there was like a relationship to the, I don't know, the spiritual world. A lot of visual, visual interpretation as well. Absolutely. Yeah, like why... why things happen or like the shoe looks like a hoof therefore satan you're a satan right imagine that but i don't know much about this but there i did read or heard at some point that the image of satan was created through iconography so it was like invented like satan and mm-hmm. in the beginning when they were talking about satan they would just kind of talk about an evil force but the whole animal nature of satan was just like taken from somebody's painting that they were like oh this is a scary guy that looks like satan and then people were like yes so like the cloven hoof and all that, that got added on over time. That imagery was just sort of like created. There's nothing in the Bible that talks about that. It was kind of like making a horror film and developing characters. Yes. Absolutely. It's interesting how people just keep doing the same thing, you know. Right. In in different media. Right. In different ages. It's true. Well, we're scared of all that stuff. Scary forces that be Yeah. And like hell and being ripped apart and, and having a hangout. Yeah, having a hangout yeah, with assholes. Evil. Yeah. Like, <laughs> evil. Scared of Trump. All the yellow-haired yeah. presidents and prime ministers. Right yeah. of oh, them. God. I think Satan should be rendered in a different color scheme. I agree with They're you. pale, reddish, reddish pale skin with like a mop of bleached hair. What do you think? Yes, I agree with you. That is how I felt about that image of them at the G7. And like long seal-like tusks <laughs> instead of horns. Seal, seals don't have tusks. I feel like... Tusks. <laughs> you mean walruses? Oh, sorry. Yes. Yes, I mean walruses. Walrus. English is my, my second, third, oh. second. It's, it's one of my languages that's not primary. Right. So I don't always... It's okay get the right animal <laughs> sorry to call you out on that walrus sorry reference. <laughs> as long as everyone imagines the demons well you know what they are demonic including uh bolsonaro would however you know like oh my god i mean come on they're literally creating a hellfire a hellscape yeah you know that's how it feels right now everything that comes out feels like hellscape central well yes it, it does feel very much like that and the way it does feel like a giant inquisition yes a giant auto da fe yeah. that you're sort of burning the effigy of liberalism on mm-hmm. yeah, it's been interesting to read the g7 exchange which also feels somehow medieval there's something you know about the sort of heads of state yeah coming together and round table you know, and the round table yes yeah, like arthurian they're trying to be chivalrous with one another you know right they're trying to like have politics and and like you know have uh, some sort of modern conception of like world governance but these like strange despotic kings Kind of like in the medieval, you know, we're like, fuck it, I'll do whatever I want. And fracturing as well, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. trying to fracture the state into smaller parts. Well, I mean, I think that was one of the other things that drew me to this stuff is is just like thinking of empire and thinking of all of, not that that, when I, when I like to look at history, it's usually private history, um, which I think was represented in that book that you mentioned, Julia, like it's more, oh yeah, right? And so it's comforting to me to think about empires rising and falling and just sort of like the disillusion of the, of the British medieval empires or like the relationship right. between like the Vikings and the peasants and the monks and stuff that we're living at the same time um because it yeah. kind of puts our time in perspective to some extent and that's comforting to me mm-hmm. but right i don't know that could be a cop-out i don't know i think there's something at the end of the book where they talk about how it gave rise to the idea of a nation or how before that there were not these nations right right in the same way like borders weren't like based on national identity it's like there weren't national identity there was more like yeah it was like somehow different there wasn't this idea of a nation it was yeah it was more like well feudal well it's like feudal lords right and I think it was just Mm -hmm. their domain essentially yeah so that's a difference I guess Mm -hmm. we have like different focuses now I guess 
But there's definitely connections. Well, that's obviously why she wrote this book. I feel like she was connecting it to the time period she wrote it, which would be, I think, the late 70s. What's really, I think, one of the best things about studying history in that period, too, is that, like, that's my favorite part of it, is that the more you look at it and the more you study it, um, on your own from primary sources are really nice books that quote people or like you can read, mm-hmm. you know, actual sources from like literary sources from the time. Mm-hmm. You realize that you don't know that time at all. Yeah. And it's like this kind of wonderful, it's like going to the moon or something. It's like you just go to this completely other world and in some ways like every time forgets what's important some things I think that are important and sometimes like remember things Mm -hmm. and there are things that we've forgotten that the medieval knew Mm -hmm. right and things that have changed and things that were set up in the medieval that we've continued and I find that so exciting and kind of calming to learn about those things like how things have changed and then to find these kernels of things of like no wait a minute time doesn't move forward everybody doesn't get like smarter every right. generation of people yeah we lose things i feel like there's always a reliance on technology you know i feel like every generation invents mm-hmm. te- you know invents a certain technology invents a certain system and then they feel smarter for that but it's in the <laughs> end it's just a system and it's, right. the problems sort of remain the same it never solves these existential problems um right i think that people hope for right when you said that i found this this quote that says the 14th century, like the 20th, commanded a technology more sophisticated than the mental and moral capacity that guided its use. Hmm. That's weird. And it was underlined and starred oh. by me. <laughs> <laughs> you spoke from the past. Actually, I feel like you and I talked about this once, Elena. They yeah, built a town. Yeah. They built a town, a portable town to protect against invaders. And I think it was really not successful. Mm. To sort of run away from invaders. Yeah. Oh, I love that idea. They, oh, I think they were trying. I think it was they were trying to invade <laughs> England. Oh, that's what was going on. But yeah. I also like just sort of the mobile town where people try to invade it. And <laughs> yeah, it runs they had away. A really good idea. That's brilliant. And so many not. feet at the yeah, bottom. I know. That's the what I was imagining as well. Just sort of like a plank, <laughs> and then you know they do a roll call, or they like. Yeah. Blow the horn and they're like, now everyone get your feet through the holes, you know, and everyone sort of like grabs these handles and they all like just run away. Right. A town of million feet. A centipede. Right. Yeah. So crazy. A huge camp enclosing a place for each captain and his company. It was virtually an artificial Calais to be towed across the channel. Its dimensions epitomized the fantasy of omnipotence. It was to have a Ah. circumference of nine miles and an area of a thousand acres surrounded by a wooden wall 20 feet high, reinforced by towers at (laughs) intervals of 12 and 22 yards. Houses, barracks, stables, and markets where the companies would come for their provisions were to be laid out along prearranged streets and squares. Mm. Cool. Anyway, I don't think it worked out very well. No. In my memory. That technology failed. My memory when I remember when, when it happened. When you remember when that happened. <laughs> oh, please remember more. Yeah. Well, there was also the... We traveled to Russia a little while ago, just before we started recording. I we went to middle of Russia for a moment. Yeah. So I remember some white shirts from there. From, yeah, Andrei Rublev. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are amazing. Yeah. Those shirts could come back. I mean, they're kind of back in the summer. Although I think you're supposed to stop wearing white shirts after Labor Day. That's a yeah. oh, universal really? fashion advice. So wait, why do they wear the white shirts? They didn't know about this rule. There was no Labor Day then. <laughs> <laughs> in the Middle Ages. I know the answer to that. The white, well, the white shirt was their underwear. It was like, right. you wore, so so the only thing you had was your, and men and women both, like you had your white shirt that was actually your nightgown. It was long. And then right, and you would sleep it. in it. And yeah, and that's all you would change. Like you would wash that. You would have three of those. I would love to know what it's called. I wonder what it was made out of. Like not cotton, right? They didn't have cotton. This is a gesture, gesture, and he's just, and he's just only wearing the white shirt, you know, because he's a gesture, so he doesn't bother with, uh, he's so simple, like wrappers, yeah, he's just dancing around in his shirt, like his undergarment, oh, and there's, a there's, a some eyes on his ass, he just stood upside down, his shirt fell down, and, um, and, 
two eyes were revealed on his ass. So when yeah. he stood upside down, it was sort of like a, a face, an emoji, essentially. Or an illuminated ass, you could oh, also say. Ass. I want to say one thing and then we can, I want to talk about emojis. There's something that I like about the medieval in the same way that I like it about the 1930s in America. And from what I can glean from reading things and from hearing kind of like first sources or literature, there was like a bodiness to it and a comfort with like really overt sexual language amongst people, but in this super playful way. And that was true among women and men. There wasn't like this same, like, I mean, of course, with like maybe the idea of the princess or whatever character, but well, yeah, you have like the Cameron and you know, that those, those Boccaccio novels. Yeah, totally. And it, but it was, it was really acceptable to talk about things really frankly. Right. They were sleeping in the same room. So exactly. It was all pretty natural to them like what are you gonna hide and there was like a deep understanding of like sexuality between people i was really into this for a while too there was just Mm -hmm. like i mean everybody had to know how to get everybody else off and if you couldn't get people off like everybody would know about it wow now you just text wait Very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. There was a very high level of like sexual knowledge and expectation for your community to have high level of sexual understanding. So, and it was totally about women. It was more about women than it was about men. Like, like you're in the same way that men wear would wear those like really long, you know, uh, stockings on their legs, and like it was all about them showing their legs. Like, it, and it was which I guess we see as like really feminine. There was like there were these different understandings of what gender and what was like who was responsible for what, and so from this book that I was reading, it was sort of like, yeah, uh, understanding sexuality and like getting, getting your wife off was like the most important thing. And you could leave your husband for that. And they were very like concrete about the details of that. So like people needed each other in this way that we don't. And need women, and I think much. women just had more of a voice, you know, I think they, they um, did. as, a, as a sort of a sexual being, I think that's what right. you're saying. Right? Right. Exactly. Uh, rather than sort of the assumption that took later that, uh, that women only kind of tolerate sex rather than enjoy that's right. it. Right. Which still prevails in a way, weirdly. Yes. And came from the witch hunts, like the witch hunts mm. happened and this, these, these ideas died out or were murdered, you could say. Caliban and the witch talks all about this. Like there was a whole other culture uh, among men and women before the witch hunts. And it kind of survived to some extent during the witch hunts and after. But something that like women had and respect and the the play kind of in um, there were witch hunts around like Shakespeare's time and things. But, you know, in Shakespeare, you can kind of see it more readily like there are battles between the genders and stuff and some terrible sexist things that go on but you can see this play that goes on and comfort with the body in Shakespeare and um yeah it's it's really nice I have a actually a story for that I remembered from the Decameron book uh, which is a book in Italian it's essentially um a book of stories a kind of erotic stories uh written by Boccaccio so it's a group of young women and men that are sheltering from the black death and are passing the time telling each other stories mm-hmm. And, wow. you know, and, and a lot of the stories just have this, um, yeah, just no sexual nature. You know, it's kind of, I feel like celebrates life, celebrates the sensuality. But so one story that I, for some reason just came to my mind is um, just speaking of satisfying a woman. So there's a, a woman, her, her merchant husband had sailed away and she was pregnant. But then this other man came, I think he was a friend of her husband. And he said, oh, you know, he was leaving. But he told me that he didn't finish making the baby. So, <laughs> so he asked me to finish it. He was like, "Oh, we have to make the arms now." Oh and my then like, <laughs> so that's right. my that's my story for you guys. I think Whoa, I read it when I was so like cool. ten because I came across the book. Um, I think it was just at my parents' wow. house, you know. And then I just oh was like, God. "Wow, yeah." Um, that is the best book to find on your parents' bookshelf. Yeah, totally. When you're ten, I wish I had found that. Oh there were some great stories in there. <laughs> It's very dirty. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's and very like dirty. Fun. And like in this really funny way too, you know, that's sort know. of Wow. <laughs> They're very proud of themselves. <laughs> in that book and I'm like oh it's hot outside it's really cute and meanwhile the black death is raging outside right that's right and and everyone felt like they were responsible for it and it was something that they did wrong as a people I mean huge amounts of people were wiped out like one third of population or something crazy amounts of people Mm -hmm. yeah 
Interesting. And then everyone's reactions to it. I have all these books with like visual collections of um, graffiti from the medieval Whoa. and just like little mm. messages that people would write. And um, yeah, it was a really visual culture, but it was, I love all of the stuff from history that's just sort of like forgotten about and you know, little secrets that just like normal people wrote. And some of it is really inscrutable, which I think makes it even more fun. Like, you know, they do these interesting shapes and forms and people don't really know what they are. But some of them just look like normal graffiti that anybody would put on anything. Did it look somewhat contemporary, you feel like? Yeah, like they'll put their names on things. People just, you know, just... Is it like a stylized script at all or... No, like they're bad at graffiti. <laughs> they're kind of like maybe they're tired because of the black plague, yeah, but it's just dying. Like, probably. Where yeah. do they find it? Yeah, um, in dungeons, in cathedrals, in the oh. St. Mary's Church. These are all in, ill too, and they were. This is scribbling. all in churches. Here is a really beautiful uh, windmill. Uh, in San Mary's church with like a bunch of letters all around it. I mean, I know from studying spell books when I got really dark, um, you can get like recopies of spell books from the middle ages of like actual people who said that they were uh, doing witchcraft and stuff. Hmm. Um, But they'll use all, it's actually really scary. And there was a time when I had to remove it from my house, like nothing happened, but I was just like got weirded out that I had this book that had all these like really interesting shapes and just like, like inscriptions and symbols that I didn't really understand, and they seemed a little evil, so I removed wow. it. Wow, sure. scary! I often find shapes scary. Yeah, <laughs> you do? Are you? Scared? I do. Yeah, I do. Whenever Julia hides under a blanket, <laughs> and just says "woo," yeah, I'm really I, scared. I'm like, I what is this shape? <laughs> shapes are scary. And then she looks completely flat and then I don't understand what happens. It's scary. No, this is actually really charming. This isn't evil at all. This, People are like drawing boats on St. Margaret's Church. Actually, we're just looking up some graffiti, but they all seemed like etchings. So I was a little bit confused. Yeah. Well, they're scratchy. They didn't oh, have like... Oh, I see. Because that's what I was wondering. I was like, how did they... How did they do it? Yeah. It was like charcoal, but then that would fade away right. after. I was like, how did right. they manage to photograph the charcoal graffiti from Black Death or blood? You know, I thought maybe they were like bleeding out and drawing, but yeah, they look great. They look very beautiful and geometric. Yeah, yeah. Some of it is like the mason who made the church would have their own marking, which makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And some of them are just kind of mysterious. Yeah, I like the idea of someone standing in a church, you know, just sitting there. And, and just scratching stuff away because they're passing the time. I think that's kind of fun. I was thinking about this when I was... I was seeing different castles. I saw some castles this summer. There was one in Italy, in Ferrara, Italy, and they showed the dungeon. You could, like, go down to the dungeon, and there are, like, inscriptions, like, that people do now. I think a lot of them are contemporary now people like writing into the walls but it made me think a lot about this like like oh back in the day they must have done this too yeah and there was some writing that looked like runic maybe it was runic that's a good word oh maybe runic (laughs) like those shapes yeah there oh here's a good one it says Tolfink wrote these runes on this stone and it's written in runes. Oh, that's very medieval satisfying. It's it's like when you're a medieval nerd, there are certain things that are like, yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's cool. That's runes. That's cool. That that's one's awesome. good. Medieval Latin inscribed. It looks all, oh, recording the arrival of the plague in the mid 14th <gasps> century. Whoa. Oh my God. Scary. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it makes me want to find the moment when we need to inscribe something somewhere. Well, Quick, we inscribe run. something all the time with our emoji sentence making. That's true. What is the finding the moment of the plague? What does that look like? What is the image? It looks like Latin. It looks like Latin backwards. Oh, it's, te- it's, oh, just it's text. text. I also thought that it yeah. was a drawing. I imagined seeing um, a kind of representation of the plague, and I think that's why I thought emoji. Yeah. Um, it's an inscription. It's like someone saying, and then the plague came and everyone died. Mm. Da, 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 da. Oh, misery may Deus. May God have mercy upon me. <laughs> Going for it. Well, you can't go medieval without going going this far. I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah. It was a rough time. So, uh, 
Elena, how are emojis related to the medieval? And are they? To me, it seems that it relates through literacy because so many people were communicating, you know, through iconography and through image rather than written text. But you undermined my theory by telling me that plague was represented by a drawing. Oh, I mean, sorry, I'm by sorry. an inscription. You know, so that That's just right. threw everything apart. <laughs> but that was. But my idea was, especially you know, confirmed by the graffiti, and well, I think in general, you know, there's some, you know, one of the ways that people would navigate, you know, the city would be through the sign, you know, through signage. Um, that would often be representational, you know, so if it's like a cobbler, it would be like a shoe-like sign hanging out. Um, and people would go to church and the painting would represent a scene from the Bible, mm-hmm. but also would represent, you know, the people who donated the money to paint the scene. So, you know, so it's like people were just sort of reading, reading information through in this visual way. And I think emoji... Um, it just seems seems similar in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of we don't need to use written language anymore, but you can sort of express feelings right. or emotions, right. gestures. Um, really, a sequence of events. I've, I've seen an ad actually near my house when I drive um, for a while. I saw this. It was an entire sort of string of emojis that represented an accident. And so, if you have this mm-hmm. accident and you're sad, you call this lawyer. And then speaking of lawyers, um, there's also been these cases where um, emoji use was analyzed, you know, as part of the kind of communication and intention behind people's behavior. That they were sort of interpreting emoji, like, what did it really mean? Like, did it, was it a joke that he sent, you know, acts, or was it really, you know, an intentional an intention to harm? You know, so things of that nature. And I think Mm -hmm. the image figuring in such a way, you know, communicative image figuring in such a way just feels somehow unbelievably kind of medieval and somewhat Mm -hmm. absurd, you know, because it just, it's also a cartoon. And to take a simplified cartoon so seriously seems somehow odd, at odds with like scientific progress to Mm me. And and I think in many ways we, people are at odds with scientific progress and i resisting it i would say so which i guess is sort of what what we're talking about with the medievalism it's like there's a turning back from science and turning back from technology that's ha- or like a, an mm-hmm. emojification of the way we're thinking and feel we want it to be like a feeling we want it to be a very strong uh, emotive response to whatever's happening yes. we don't want to have like a reasoned uh, perspective on it we don't want to respond we can't contain thoughtfully. all the information i think also there's just so much information to mm-hmm. be learned and people just simply aren't able to and so yeah an emotional response a simplified medieval response you know i can weave this like you know i can boil this like allegory like symbols allegory yeah. like how there are these people like faith is personified and fortune is personified and love is personified mm-hmm. in stories like and then love came to me fortune arrived and mm-hmm. she said blah, blah, blah. it's like <laughs> like a smiley Magical face thinking. is like symbol yeah. too it's like a symbol instead of something like everything's like symbol right everything's sort of reduced to these icons instead of um information actually i think it also kind of magical connects to magical thinking and that's Mm -hmm. also really widespread now sort of the idea i think that's connected to technology because it's so seamless and you know you can kind of manifest things things can appear at your house if you order them you know like (laughs) right you can speak to the air and it will respond hi alexa yeah. Oh, she didn't respond, but... <laughs> Wait, oh, does no. she respond? But an Alexa will respond to this podcast uh, if it hears it. So that that happened to me, I have to point out, that I was yeah. listening to one of our podcasts after we did it, and you were talking to Alexa, and your Alexa didn't respond right away, but the yeah. one next to me did. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That was really funny. You know, when you were she heard, listening anyway, to the yeah. edit, and then she's like, yeah, <laughs> that was funny. Right. There's like a Alexa of the past. Disjointed. The other, I think, instance of magical thinking that occurred to me the other day was uh, the popularity of meditation, you know? And I feel like mm-hmm. you hear so much about it, and I'm sure a legitimate practice, you know, of calming yourself down. But I think whenever they sort of sell apps or these, there are these articles, productivity articles, they're like, just 10 minutes a day, just 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day can make such a difference. But it also just seems absurd that like for 10, 15 minutes a day, if you just sit quietly and just like your whole overworked, stressful existence, right. you know, will somehow become lighter. Just no way. 
There's just no way. That's a really great point. And I'm a big fan of the, the benefits of the neurobiology of meditation and like a definite proponent of meditation, but which is why like your point that you just made is why I would never like go into corporations or whatever and teach them meditation because in a way it's teaching, teach, I mean, this is hard to say, but it's teaching complacency. Hmm. So it's like by saying all of your problems are not structural. They're not capitalism. They're not that you're asked to work way more hours than you should. Oh, I have a point about the medieval in this later, Mm -hmm. but it's not that it's your calmness. It's your fault. So if you just do this 10 thing, this 10 minute thing, then the whole world will be fine. And you'll consider, you'll continue being a consumer. You'll con, you're, you won't question anything. So I, yeah, sometimes anxiety and anger and frustration are there because you need to change something. Yeah. You know, the neoliberal kind of tempting of meditation and the meditation, I've heard it called the meditation uh, the the Buddhist industrial complex mm. in New York. Oh yeah, which is something that I don't want to become involved in, but it's hard when you're a meditator. And I like a couple teachers, you know, and I would give them. I've never given them money, but I would. And it's like, it's pretty interesting. So yeah, I mean, I'm very uh, much a proponent of like social justice and social change when it's linked to a spiritual organization. But and there are Buddhist groups that are very you know, that are not just like, sit back, calm down, you'll be fine. Go back to your weird job and continue doing terrible things to the world or whatever. No. Oh, I was talking about this with a a friend of mine and he said that he had just read an article about leisure and the medieval. And I was like, what? Cause hello, that's exactly (laughs) what we always talk about. Yeah. And he said that, um, according to this philosopher that there had been leisure. I know. Well, you would have, I think you would have here. Let me tell you what he said. And then he said that they work from sunup to sundown, but there was no work day that was invented. Like in the Victorian, Victorian. That was invented because of machines, this like nine to five kind oh, of system. Tending to yeah. the machines required that perhaps. Right. Maybe. And like shifts, shift Sh- labor. Exactly. You know? So you can, so the machine can just continue endlessly working. So the labor system that existed in the medieval when people kind of lived on the commons was that your community was responsible for the specific land and you had overall jobs that were actually really, really hard and very, but very codified. So people would work nonstop for like two months, mm-hmm. um, and then sun up to sundown. But within the work day, you could have long conversations. You could take a break. You could go do something else because somebody else, and then somebody else would work. And it wasn't there wasn't the sense that like you have to. Uh, work to live versus live to work kind of thing like there was a sense of like yeah work was not a defining your defining characteristic like your profession your career was not and they worked even harder than we do Mm. but like the amount of leisure to work that they had they also um when it was like harvest time or when it was like a holiday yeah they would have huge time off so they worked really really hard all together and then they would have a huge amount of time off to party yeah and the article said something like only in the 50s and 60s when they limited the amount of work you could make someone do did we get to even close to the medieval conceptions of like leisure and work oh and now we've lost it with all the piecemeal work where people are just doing we've totally lost it absolutely you know ubering someone i took an uber the other day and the woman told me she's been working 60 hours a week yeah crazy and like we think we're in the modern you know we think that's modern she was like i used to take i used to take time off Sunday for church, but then I realized I oh my god I should just keep because that's a good day. The weekend is really right. good. Oh my god, it's very interesting. This idea that like we've lost things and we've gained things, and mm-hmm. yeah, the flexibility is just just a kind of endless endless labor and disguise. Very interesting. Well, um, I have a couple things about Marianne Williamson, of course, who needs to enter this discussion. Yeah, she does. Welcome, Marion. I'm surprised at how many people talk about it really seriously now. I mean, mm. it's interesting. I just like listened to her be interviewed on on I think on Vogue magazine. No, on Vanity Fair and Perfect Platform. I was just like writing some of the things she said because they sounded she sounded really witchy. She said, "Harvest the energy of excitement around climate change." <laughs> she wants us to harvest oh energy. Oh my god! Well, yeah, I mean that's why people you know people are just becoming bizarre and emotional in this particular way, and they want to right. They want to understand the hard truth that doesn't involve algorithms. And so they're like, "Let's harvest that excitement." 
can we plant it later? <laughs> right. And that's what she wants us to do, which is kind of nice. Oh, okay. It's like, actually, let's get everyone excited about how we're all going to work. We're today. in the eliminated ass. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She showed her eliminated ass. She kind of did. That is what she did. She was a little bit like a wonderful witch jester who just like showed her illuminated ass at the debate. It's amazing. <laughs> People are really receptive to that. I mean, like when you go to YouTube, um, I was I was doing some research yesterday on the sort of medieval or just kind of I guess like magical practices you know and how mm-hmm. there are all these people that sort of do things in their own time you know but then it's interactive in a sense like so there are tarot readings and so there is a kind of pontificator sits there with, with her tarot cards and there are three stacks of four stacks you know of cards and they're like think of a question think of a question this reading is timeless and you can pick mm. a stack what your intuition tells you and then they sort of tell you what you know, whether you should leave this person or whether you will marry, you know, whether you will. Wow. But it's, you know, not dissimilar, I think, to Marion. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It feels from the same over. It does. What is it? I mean, is it is it really just this that like we're in this pl- this time of like extreme technological change? And so you can step into like what's happening instead of hiding from it or like being reactionary and then. I don't know. And just say that the tarot reading is, what did she say? It's eternal. What did she say? Yeah, it's timeless. It doesn't matter that when it was recorded, it's timeless. It transcends time. Oh my God. So that's like such a bold move. Wait, what was she talking about? Oh, that wasn't Marianne. That was the tarot lady. Yeah. But I could also imagine Marianne saying the energy around climate change is timeless. Right. Pick the energy you like and ride it. To your higher truth. She said, be a light unto the world, self-actualized to soar without interference. There you go. Same shit. Americans have an instinctive awareness that America matters. Blessings have been bequeathed and we are to bequeath them to our children. I was like, wow. I, the new medievalism. Yeah. We'll have like the astrologers instead of doctors. Oh, you know, that reminds me, actually, that was happening (laughs) at the cusp of the Soviet Union was collapsing. It was suddenly, you know, after all these um, programs that involved recounting of, uh, you know, scientific measurement of harvest and, you know, the the achievements of our space program. So suddenly all that stopped. And when communism collapsed and there was just this deluge of astrologers and really? also hypnotizers there was this one oh. in particular that was really popular his name is Kasparovsky his big thing was that he was just sitting there on the same channel that previously they would broadcast you know polit- like political meetings of oh, the God. government so it would be him and he would just be and he looked kind of medieval you know he had this sort of <laughs> short hair in the front you know monkish hairdo and he would ask you to put a glass or a jar of water in front of the television and he would you know, similarly would charge it. He said, it's charged. Oh my God. And then, you know, it would supposed to, supposedly, it would heal you. He's now on Instagram. I recently, (laughs) still around. around. Put your jar of water. Can you still charge it? I think everyone should try doing it. Wow. Charge your, just charge yourself. We're mostly water anyway. We'll charge their, uh, we'll charge their beverages. Let's charge them right now. All right. Okay. Listeners, go get any beverage. We don't care. (laughs) <laughs> and who's gonna charge it are you gonna are we all gonna charge it no Kushpirovsky's gonna charge it they have to open his Instagram <laughs> I can do it oh come on oh, I'm offering you gonna a free do it? charge sure you do yeah. it Julia you do it do it with a quote it does feel like people are looking for magic in sometimes in a good way but sometimes I sometimes think like when I turn on the TV and during the middle of the day, I don't have a TV, but when I go somewhere that there's a TV, like a doctor's office or something, yeah. I'll see. And during the daytime, all the ads are like the people who uh, are advertising, like lawyers who are advertising, get like sue that person. Like they're encouraging people to sue other people. And it's like mm. all you see on ads during the day on like daytime oh, TV. Yeah. And it feels like really manipulative um, because a lot of times these lawyers are probably just going to take most of the money from whatever this person gets. But it feels like that somehow feels like that to me, like the magic, like, oh, this is how we're supposed to 
behave and like this is how we revolt against inequality or it's like mm-hmm. this is By the heart, way yeah attacking the sort of the person right yeah next to like, you in a way like it's a legitimate like frustration but it's like channel being used by the wrong people like in the wrong hands right. yeah i don't know why i thought i no, guess no, just the magic it's, thing it's of like ma- oh it's you both just like invocation you know and it's kind of and the you know, experts the mm-hmm. experts but also like I think like fracturing you know I feel like I only think of the kind of the middle like, in, like the feudal times you know sort of this kind of small dukedoms or something you know where just like everyone was sort of protecting their little right. property and kind of attacking his right. neighbor you know and it's just this kind of it feels um, similarly uncommunal yeah and, you know we're right. sort of instead of looking at the corporate overlords and right. channeling fighting outrage and curses at them we're right. sort of fighting like with a union other. or something yeah exactly instead we're just like kind of this, trying to yeah lack of trust i think is a big part of it like we we deeply distrust the government we distrust each other yeah we distrust the truth we distrust medicine i mean we're we're having a lot of questions of faith I found this article about, um, I'm sure a lot of people know about this, but I just wanted to mention it because it's accurate or it's relevant. There was a big Facebook group about storming Area 51 to get the truth about aliens, and it was like a joke. Right. But then uh, a billion people said that they were actually going to show up and storm Area 51 to find out what's really there, mm-hmm. so they must know. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me a lot of like the peasant revolts of the 1300s and just like how we're all really ready to have a peasant revolt, which actually was a really powerful and important political tool in the medieval that mm-hmm. caused a lot of positive social change, like sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this like sense of revolt that people will go that far, even just to like figure out yeah. about aliens, you know, like they must right. know they're aliens. Right. It's very urgent. Like the priorities are like all right. confusing. That's yeah. right. That's great. Yeah. Well, I think people also in times of, yeah, in, in hard times to kind of try to distract themselves with well, and maybe, you know, you could make a metaphor about aliens being a replacement for an, old, an older conception of God. Mm, so like this sure. sense of connection to mystery, like my, yeah. my dad the is... The ultimate uh, revelation about the universe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my dad treats ancient aliens and he treats the idea of aliens like a religion. Like it's very serious to him. He's a scientist, but like this is where his spirituality is. Whoa. And he's like this hardcore atheist. But when you talk to him about aliens, he gets this like look in his eye, you know? So you get this, a special like, green, green glow. He gets a green glow. No, he gets so he gets so uh, inspired, and mm. and it's a spiritual look. It's a spiritual, you know, way of speaking that he has, and um, it's really interesting. And he's like a very he's a good example of like a very modern. I mean, he's an older guy, but he's like a very modern person to some extent because like his family, his parents were all like Methodist Christians, and he broke away because he was a scientist, and and now that's kind of all he has. Yeah, you know, as far as like his connection to spirituality and mystery and um, the unknown, you know, it's pretty interesting. I I wonder, I should ask him if he would ever go and revolt against Area 51. I don't think he would. But if I did, he'd be pretty impressed. Can you explain why, sorry to backtrack, but we, people were revolting, revolting against, oh no, we, they weren't, they were going to Area 51 to see the alien. Yeah. But what if, but if, what if they revolted? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, they were, they were wanting to go, let's see, overwhelm the top secret Nevada military site with people, a mass of humanity that would storm the gates in pursuit of long hidden truths that have oh, long right. fueled conspiracy theories and right. television shows, including the X-Files. It would all happen on September 20th. Right. Okay, guys, buy your tickets. Finally, alien autopsies, UFOs and hangers, and other off-the-books government research would be exposed. Vindication. Wow. Yeah, pretty good. So they're all really excited about it. But they didn't really mean for it to be real, and then it turned kind of real. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, the, and then the government got really, like, frustrated. We do not discuss specific security measures. Ooh, makes me want to go even more now. <laughs> wow. Uh, good stuff i mean i wanted to go to like where the vortex is 
kids and all that kind of stuff. I have never been over there, but I just like that culture. I like yeah. alien weirdos. I don't know very much about it. That's Me the one area that I really don't have. I like. Yeah. I should deepen my knowledge. I like music that, like Sun Ra, that talks about going. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, space. I do too. Yeah. I do like cosmic music. Yeah, especially from cosmic the eighties. Music. You know when it sounds yeah. like like a million of computers kind of going. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean. Going to Middle Ages, going to the future, storming things, storming, <laughs> storming things. <laughs> They did it. They Time they went crazy. They cut people's heads off back then. They were crazy. What Area Fifty One? No. Yeah. Are you talking about back then in the Middle Ages? In the Peasant Revolt. Like, did they have Area Fifty One oh, in the Middle Ages? No. Okay. Well, according to my dad, the aliens were all over the place, man. They were like riding in in carriages and stuff and doing all sorts of weird like throughout history. I hate that. I mean, historically, it makes me crazy. Do you have a, do like, you have any graffiti proof of that? That's no, he does. He, he has does. proof of all sorts of stuff. Any, anybody who likes ancient aliens will like quickly provide. Okay, you. we'll have him on the podcast. He can tell us no. all about it. Oh, this is this is interesting. So every time like I would go back home and talk to my dad, he'd be like, you know, Jennifer, because he calls me Jennifer. He'd be like, you know, the um, one of the main scientists is single and he lives in New York City. Oh my God. It's <laughs> like, you need to date the, no. the main guy from ancient aliens <laughs> he was like i'm in communication with their producers i oh, could uh, i could write an email he was like totally serious like nothing would make him more excited than me to date that guy oh wow yeah. that seems like a meme waiting to happen i know um, i wish i did i don't yeah. know why i didn't do that for him um, julian i really like medieval memes oh right you had the monk dinner party one yeah from a few years ago i guess it was from toast which is no no longer around but yeah there was a series of should we read the them monks. yeah let's like do we can read the diet we can i'll be one yeah, we'll monk you'll be dialogue. another yeah that sounds good let's do it we we'll just have to imagine what happens in the image okay so two medieval monks invent dinner parties let's throw a dinner party big feast invite everybody over oh yes for sure let's What's good to eat? What do people like for dinner? One single peacock. Will that be enough, do you think? Well, that's what dinner is. A single peacock. So it better be. Okay. People will know what to expect, so they'll be prepared anyway. Okay. Should we have anything else ready, though, just in case? Look, I'm telling you, dinner is a single bird. Feathers on. (laughs) All its feathers still on. On a big plate. That's literally what dinner is. Okay. <laughs> I forget if with dinner parties, do people usually have normal eyes and smiling, smiling faces? Oh, no, red, red eyes and despair. Okay, I was pretty sure that was the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, very red eyes and sorrow and <laughs> pushing plates. <laughs> okay, good. That's how you know it's dinner. <laughs> how many ships with a nun on them should we have for the party, do you think? Um, there's there's what 18 20 people coming yeah i think so i think two <laughs> okay yeah for that many people you definitely need at least one maybe two but for sure one at least should we have a cup of horror do you think yes definitely <laughs> how many tables do you think we should have oh one for everyone who wants to eat gold shapes and then just a hot <laughs> pig area for whoever wants to touch some hooves for dinner <laughs> yeah hot pig hot pig should we get a table for the hoof people or no fuck them let them stand <laughs> what about anyone who wants to come that isn't a king or make them sit circles um make them- <laughs> Make them eat circles and sit on the grass. I forget if dinner is at tables or where everyone sits. Carefully on different branches in a tree with no one facing in the same direction. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. All up in a bunch of trees pointing the directions of each other. Do you think most people will be wanting to wear clothes? Mm, foreheads maximum, nothing else. <laughs> what about if they want to wear a cloak or something? Absolute clothing maximum is four hats overall, no exceptions. <laughs> Should we have a surprise live goat on the table? Um, I don't know. Are we trying to have a party? <laughs> yes, of course we should. 
I've never really cooked before. Do you think that will be a problem? What's to know? Sit on a sad, fat deer near some cactus plants, chop at its head with your axe, then put it in a fire square and you're done. You're overthinking this. Okay, thanks. Sorry, I didn't mean to do trouble. No, it's fine. You'll be great. You're learning. It's fine. Okay, that was... That was. Yeah, it's not as funny so without the pictures, maybe. It is. It's actually something totally different. I think it's, yeah, it's like the spirit of the picture. The spirit is actually, like, when you said gold triangles or something, it was like, yes, that yeah, is what... gold circles. Yeah. And, you know, shapes are scary, so you got to eat them. <laughs> shapes. Eat them before they eat you. Yeah, that's what I say. I was just yeah. thinking about, well, the skomorok. How do you say skomorok. it? Skomorok. Mm-hmm. I was excited about this idea. Well, this, like, jester idea. I have this, like, quote that I have wrote down when I was working on a song. It's about it. It says, Their art was related and addressed to the common people and usually opposed the ruling groups who considered them not just useless, but even ideologically detrimental and dangerous by both the feudalists and the clergy. Interesting. I just thought I'd Mm -hmm. throw that out there. (laughs) Read it. Read it again. I want to hear it again. I don't know where I got this, though. I wish I knew. It's probably Wikipedia, honestly. Their art was related and addressed to the common people and usually opposed the ruling groups Mm. who considered them not just useless, but even ideologically detrimental and dangerous by both the Mm -hmm. feudalists and the clergy. I think this sentence is confusing, actually. No, but... Who considered... The ruling groups considered the skomoro yeah the gesture dangerous um, dangerous but then it says by both anyway yeah basically both the feudalist and And the the clergy clergy found them confusing right I I get that from yeah anyway yeah I see see what you mean so what were they 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 were what kind of art were they making they were making gesture gesture art like you mean like oh jester like like a jester yeah. yeah, like singing. And, yeah. Um, well, yeah, you know, I think it's kind of like in a way how a lot of those comedians, you know, who have talk shows and things like they say very intense political things, but the corporations keep them close. So it's like you want to keep your critics close, very, very close to you. And you want so that you can in some way control them, but also like keep aware of where you're criticized. Mm. You know, that's a very skeptical view of like what comedy is in some ways. But um, because, you know, they're, they're supposed to be taboo. They're supposed to break the rules and they always have, and they always will. But then it's like, in what way do do the people who are involved in comedy, like, are, who are they working for? Where is their money from? Mm-hmm. You know, I've been hearing a lot of really interesting mm-hmm. things out of comedians mouths where it's like, you can tell that they have like really strong political beliefs and they want to vote for certain people, but like they're scared to say it all the way on television or like on these different mm-hmm. like YouTube things that I'm watching where they're like, you know, related to the big corporations. It's very, it's, you know, it's interesting because right. it's always been that way. Maybe everyone huh. should just be a gesture. That should be the aim. I read somewhere that maybe that Bolsonaro, during the, there was a live, okay, this might not be true, but this is what I read. There was like a live announcement about the fires in in Brazil and what they were going to do. And while that live taped announcement Mm. came on, he was at a right-wing comedian event. Yeah, I read that, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, a comedy show, right, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that's how I see comedy right now. And, And in some ways it's not quite, self-aware enough you know it's not quite bold enough and separating itself from the powers that be um but maybe it never has maybe that quote kind of Mm. points to the fact that that there's always been this kind of interesting relationship between power and the arts and power and comedy and i think it's like an established comedian though you know there's like an establishment comedians and then there's just Mm -hmm. sort of like the street gesture, mm-hmm. you know. But the, yeah, this is the street gesture. Exactly. The Skomorok yeah. is the bitterly sarcastic enemy of the state and the church who earns a living with his scathing and obscene social commentary and mm-hmm. by making fun of the oh. boyers. Yeah, it's just kind of an underdog yeah. clown, not one that performs yeah. on TV right. or Netflix right, right, or whatever. Right. Or never Shortly, funny, a anyway. group of soldiers arrest the Skomorok. And this is in in Andrei Rublev. They take him outside, knock him unconscious, and smash his musical instrument. That does not bode well. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, dear. 
we'll be careful. Once once the powers that be start smashing musical instruments, I think we'll be in real trouble. Once they go that far. Yeah, hold on to your mandolin, everyone. (laughs) All right. I guess that was a a good tragic ending to conclude on. Yes. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Julia. Yes, and thank you for uh, for uh, making this music for our show. It really oh, makes yeah. a difference. Oh, yeah, yes. Oh, my God, yes. It's, it's fun. Great. I could do yes. more stuff if you guys need it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's great. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the music. Yeah. Maybe we'll sing it. No, I don't think we'll sing a song. We're not... We're not ready, I think. We already did a performance, so we don't need to do another performance. Maybe we'll do a, a ritual. I feel like we should. Oh, should we do a ritual? Well, I would. Okay. I just was like, I'm still looking over at this. Like, I just feel like there's one more thing to be yeah. said. Because we're talking about Skormorok, and I connected it, I guess, when I was looking at reading all this stuff to, like, rituals or, like... Oh, yeah. It's sort of a different subject, but I'm looking at this now and thinking about hysterical rituals <laughs> oh, yeah. I, sounds no, great like um, does. I'm down like many took part in these rituals out of loneliness and carnal pleasures others were curious or sought exhilaration it seems like something that they did in the middle ages sometimes because I don't know if they know why but there's this thing that happened like they call it sometimes St. Vitus dance where people would just start mm. dancing into mm. a frenzy until they collapsed. Mm. I think it was actually a group of people that came from, I want to say they said Latvia or something, but there was like this sect, religious sect that came and was doing it. But they, for a long time, they thought they were possessed or something. Mm-hmm. And like, so that this was like a whole thing. And that involved the leaping through smoke or flames believed to Mm. protect participants from various diseases over the ensuing year. Mm. A central feature of it, leaping or jumping continuously for up to several hours through what they claimed were invisible fires until collapsing in exhaustion. That sounds so fun. And somehow I, like, connected that to the Skomorok and, like, the sacrifice of, like, getting in a frenzy. But it's a little different because Skomorok is more political, but maybe... Yeah. But I feel like it also kind of represents where we are at the moment. I feel like everyone is in a kind of frenzy, oh, you know? Oh, for sure, And yeah. there's this kind of constant anxiety, and it is as though you're sort of leaping over fire. Right. Leaping away, so it feels... Right. It, it feels very current somehow. It's sort of like a physical manifestation of our, I don't know, scrolling through yeah. phone or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Scrolling. Scrolling over fire. But they're trying to purify... In some ways, you know, like yeah. the jumping over the fire right. and maybe even the purified? comedian is trying to transform, you know, right. through their actions. Right. Yeah. We need that more. You know, we need to take our kind of passive scrolling anxiousness and turn it into transformation. Right. Mm-hmm. We need to dance with the um, By fire. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we need to like get behind that skomorok. Yeah. Run after him. Well, I don't want to get smashed, so. Right. Maybe not. Okay. We could sing that song. What's the song? Which one? The Russian one? Okay, sure. I don't know how Should to we say look the up, words. Should we look up the words? Uh, let me see if I can find it. Люли, люли, три гудочка, 
Jet fell to you, I'm putting my water in front of your song. My water is being purified. Sorry, don't know. The white birch, the white birch song. Very good. Well, yeah. That did good work. I think it was a, a good medieval note, I feel like, to conclude on. It was a ritual. I feel transformed. Yeah. I feel better. <laughs> And I hope yeah. so do our dear listeners. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Julia, Jenny, for another Thanks for having fun me. time. Yeah. And we'll return with more messages from Area 51 <laughs> <laughs> next week. <laughs> Ciao. Bye-bye.